Good morning. The scripture reading for today is found in Genesis, the 25th chapter, verse 7 through 11, and Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 8 through 16. If you'd like to read along, it's printed in your bulletins. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in a cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Laharo. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. All right, we've had a number of special segments in our service here today, and so uh, these remarks from these passages are going to be shorter But I hesitate even to promise that. But uh, we'll see how God leads. What are you laughing about? (laughs) Let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we could hear from your word. And we need to hear. We need you to unplug the ears of our hearts. We need you to hear what you, Jesus, described as being words of life. Give us life. Because there's so much deadness in us. We admit that. And you're the author of life. And so we give ourselves to you humbly, saying that we need your wisdom, we need your light, we need your salvation, we need you as our Savior, Jesus. So come near to us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're finishing up our summer-long study of the life of Abraham, and we're ending... Finally, ending today with the end of Abraham's life. What we have before us is two passages. First, a short narrative from Genesis 25. We've been tracking from Genesis 11 all the way through to Genesis 25. And here today, describing 
Abraham's death. And from the perspective of the New Testament, we have a brief summary of Abraham's life of faith from the book of Hebrews. I don't know how often you think about death or what death has to do with faith or how you relate to death from the perspective of faith, but I wonder if it would be, no, I know it would be a good thing, a healthy thing for the, in the coming week for all of us to do a little bit of reflecting on death, even as we reflect on death in the coming minutes. And for some of us, that might be a challenge because death feels distant and vague. Maybe you're younger in age. Maybe death still feels like a theoretical, far-off possibility. Of course, you know it exists, but it doesn't feel imminent or personal to you. For others, you need no help at all. Death is already on your mind, on your heart. Maybe you recently lost someone. Maybe your work often reminds you that life is very fragile. You're a relief worker. You're a nurse. You're a serviceman or woman in the military. Or maybe you're reminded of the reality of death on a regular basis because you're getting older in years. Or maybe you live on a rough block in the neighborhood and the street violence all around you has you wondering all the time if you're going to make it or a loved one. It's on your minds. It's on your hearts. Well, what we find in these passages In summary, there's a lot that we could go over, but just in short, we're going to look at two principles about death that we learn. The source of peace in death, something we all want, or at least want to be assured that we'll have, the source of peace in death, and secondly, the sense of home going in death. Source of peace and the sense of home going in death. So number one, first, the source of peace in death. What we find here in Genesis 25, in this description of Abraham, is a remarkably poetical little description of the final breath of Abraham. In verse 8, Abraham breathed his last. And here in, in poetical form, he died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Abraham lived a full life. And now he dies a man full of faith and full of peace. And you have to notice that this is the case even though he died with an unfinished life mission. All that God had commissioned him to be a part of, yes, indeed, had begun The grace of God flowing from his life to the lives of other people. God starting from him and Sarah, a new nation. People that would know God. And yet he has one son so far. A beginning, but it's not finished. God who had promised land, a concrete place where these people could live out the grace of God in real life, in real relationships, with dirt under their feet. And yet... He has no possession of any land except for the small plot that he purchased in which he was finally able to bury his wife, Sarah. An unfinished life mission. We're reminded in verse 9, still with unresolved conflict even in his life. Verse 9, this reference to his sons Ishmael and Isaac. He 
You can go back or listen to some of the sermons online, but the family strife that was created by Abraham's impatience with God's promise, having sort of a, 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 a son with a, a servant woman in his family because he wasn't quite ready to wait for God's timing. Even though these things seemed unresolved and unfinished, still Abraham dies with peace, with faith. And so you ask, where did that come from? Where can you get that kind of peace as you look forward to your final days, whether long off in the future or maybe you just don't know unexpectedly sometime soon? Normally, we look to our personal performance to give us this peace at death. See, oftentimes when we consider what would give me peace, I think the question we ask ourselves is, have I done enough? Which sort of betrays an accomplishment view of life and death. Have I done enough? Have I accomplished enough? Have I reached the heights that I planned on reaching? Have I impacted the world or even my family and friends in the way that I wanted to? Have I done enough? And I wonder if the Bible tells us today that maybe that's the wrong question to ask. Maybe a better question, which it seems like Abraham is asking, is has God done all that he said he will do? And the answer of faith and peace is yes. Abraham's whole life, until his last breath, was defined by the promise and the faithfulness of God. His whole life was defined not by what he is able to accomplish in his life to his last breath, but rather primarily by what God has been able to accomplish for him. Which is what we find in these few verses in chapter 25 that describe all the adventures of the outworkings of the promise of God in Abraham's life. Whether if it's him extending his life to 175 years, which was not normal. It was a blessing even back then as it certainly would be here today. The ways in which we have these reminders of Abraham's son Isaac, who was given as a miracle child a promise of blessing from God. The ways in which we hear about his continued blessing of Isaac even after his death in verse 11, part of God's direct fulfillment that he will give favor not only to Abraham, but to all his descendants. God is still fulfilling all of his promised kindness to Abraham. And Abraham knows this is what defines who I am. This is what gives me a sense of fullness as I depart from this earth. Is that the case for you? And maybe you say, well, that's not really fair. I've noticed in verse 7 it says that Abraham lived 175 years, and so that means he had a lot longer than I'm probably going to have to live life to the fullest and to get what he wanted to get out of life. But I tell you, yes, that's true perhaps on some level, but it's also more time to mount up regrets. And failures. Abraham, by, by no means was he a perfect man. He was a flawed man. Yes, a hero of faith throughout the Bible. But as we have learned, a deeply flawed, flawed man. And Abraham learned in these years what we need to learn. And that is that we will never do enough 
to ever give ourselves self-peace. And certainly when we're looking at how to not only be personally satisfied, but to ensure that God would be satisfied with us. What is it that you turn to that gives you confidence that at the end of this life, that when you stand before God in the courtroom of heaven, reviewing the record of your life, and to see if you pass muster, which is the story the Bible says that awaits all of us in the final chapters of our lives here on earth. What is it that you will put before God to say, I have done well? What is it? What Abraham has learned is that someone else, namely God himself, must walk in his place, must stand in his place as he stands before God if he's going to pass muster, if he's going to make it. In Genesis 15, when we saw God formalizing his promise, his covenant with Abraham, God saying, look, if I break my end of the deal in our relationship... I will take the hit and pay the price. And if you break your end of the deal and fail in this relationship, I will pay the price as well. The story of grace, God standing in our place, fulfilling all that he requires of us in love, in justice, in all the ways that we fail, and even in the ways that we do well, but yet imperfectly The good news of God's grace, the story of Jesus, that here is God standing before the throne of God saying, I have done it all and now you must accept this one who has embraced me. You must love, you must bless, you must show favor, you must receive into your kingdom this one who has said, He is my substitute, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, my Savior. Have you taken that step yourself? Do you see your own need for someone, God Himself, to stand in your place before God? For you to make it, to be right with God. Not your own track record, but His track record. And peace flowing from that. Abraham's source of peace at death isn't his own personal performance, but God's promises. What is it for you? What would give you personal peace, ultimate peace, if you found out today the clock is ticking? And you don't have much more time. It's not just a theoretical question that happens all the time in a fallen world. How would you respond? By performance or by God's promises? Secondly, not only do we have here the source of peace and death, God's promises, we have a sense of home going in death. That death is really the front door to a home that's being redecorated and made just for you and me. This paradoxical way in which the Bible talks about death as being, yes, a terrifying and terrible thing, and yet by the grace of God, 
It becomes the portal through which we experience the fulfillment of all that God has promised to be for us. As one Christian counselor and author, Dan Allender, put it, because of Christ, we know that death is not the end, but the final birth. Death is not the final chapter, but the first chapter of a never-ending sequel to our life story. And I would add to the story of our world. You see, what we find in this passage is that Abraham had come to understand that because of God's promise and power, that far beyond the other side of death awaited something even better than all the fullness of blessing that he had in this life. Something more worthy, something more secure, something more permanent, something more like home. We see this language, Hebrews 11, verse 10. Abraham lived his life looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 16, he was longing for a better country, a heavenly one. This language of God preparing a city, a human community that he's gathering for himself. A whole new society that's defined by not self-centeredness, not arrogant power, not by human pride, but compassion, self-sacrificial service, justice, peace. This long-awaited thing that Abraham had in front of him that he was awaiting this day that he would finally know God and know human community, one without disease, one without death, poverty, depression, one without sadness, racism, heartache, goodbyes. All of it wiped away, healed away. This great city that is this metaphor that the Bible gives to us of all that God promises to be in store for those who have indeed embraced Christ. We're talking about heaven, yes, but we're also talking about heaven on earth. When God renovates and perfects this here, yes, physical world, when heaven comes down and renews and restores this reality to be all that God intended it to be with himself at the center. What the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth, what this passage is calling this new city, this new country that Abraham knew was coming and that he was just waiting for and grasping for and laboring for and longing after. And what we're told is because he lived that way, he was able to move through life in this broken world in a unique way, namely as a stranger and an alien passing through this world. That Abraham knew that this world as it presently is, as we know it, broken, flawed, finite, limited, disappointing, frustrating at times, is not his ultimate home. Not this world as it is. But his home is this world 
as it one day will be when Jesus returns and consummates that healing process. In verse 9 of Hebrews 11, we see by faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. We're told that this was symbolized in the way that he lived in tents. No, temporary, fragile, little canvas things, tents, rather than something more permanent. He did not stake his home and future and security and foundation here. The end of verse 13, all those that live like Abraham, they admit that they are aliens and strangers on earth. What does that mean? To so have before you this better country, this city, this heavenly reality, so real right in front of you, that you can begin to live as a stranger and alien here on this earth, freed from the fear of death, living as a stranger and alien. Well, first, what it doesn't mean is a stranger in the sense of just not being known by anyone. That's not what the Bible is saying here. Abraham knew his neighbors. And in fact, we saw in different portions of these chapters the favor that he had amongst those nearby him. It also doesn't mean that Abraham was disconnected from life here and now. Maybe some of you skeptically have this sense that, hey, this is exactly the problem with Christians in general, but re- I mean, Christians specifically, but religion in general. And that is the more heavenly minded you are, the less earthly good you are. You're gazing off in the future, which makes you just sort of hover above all the real world concerns that we have here and now. And yet that is absolutely not how we see Abraham engaged in life in this world. He was very serious about his daily work. Didn't just sit around saying, hey, heavens are coming. Don't need to work. Made a living. Raised livestock. He did quite well. We see this in Genesis 12 and 13. He wasn't just sort of stoically non-emotional, sort of above any highs or any lows, like some people of some kind of spirituality, not true gospel Christian spirituality, feel like faith ought to make you. Like you're not really ever really emotional. No. We're told that Abraham and Sarah, when Isaac was born, they laughed. They knew how to have a good time. They threw a party for Isaac, a feast when he was weaned. We see Abraham engaged in issues of justice. He fought on behalf of neighboring people when they were oppressed by outside overlords. We saw that in Genesis 14. And in Genesis 18, we saw a deep compassion that Abraham had for the people of Sodom. Even people that maybe disagreed with his faith, lived differently than he lived, and yet he was begging God to have mercy upon him. No, not disconnected, And not floating above real life and circumstances, but deeply engaged. In fact, this word alien, stranger, that's used here in Hebrews 11, is actually the same word that was used in ancient Greco-Roman society to describe resident aliens. 
green card holders, people that really do make a country their own home, even if their citizenship is placed in another region. So not citizens, but not tourists either. So not primarily identifying with that place, but not just passing through either. Deeply engaged, deeply loving, deeply concerned about the brokenness around them. True residents, not just consumers, committed to the places flourishing, committed to this world, which is exactly how we want to be as a church community here in this neighborhood. Permanent residents, spiritually speaking with a citizenship in heaven, a home of a different place, and yet deeply invested as a true resident spiritually, and in many cases, physically, literally. What else does it mean? Being a stranger and an alien in this world means that occasionally you might feel out of place. And that is okay. It should be expected, in fact, that you never quite perfectly feel at home with the values of the world around you. Which isn't to say that the values of the world are always wrong, a mistake that religious folks can sometimes make, castigating everything that's of the world. But what it does mean, though, is that if there aren't some times when you just feel like a spiritual foreigner, if there aren't those times on occasion, then you are not living as a stranger and an alien. You're not living understanding that your true sense of belonging and identity is grounded in God and grounded in that yet-to-come time and place of heaven on earth. Because your ultimate security, your foundations, you're starting to find come from a different place. Your ultimate sense of identity and belonging comes from something else, someone else, namely Jesus. Who doesn't just give you a rescue and doesn't just give you a ticket out of jail, but totally redefines what life and reality is all about. Yes, sometimes there will be occasional clashes of visions and values because you're a citizen of a different country. You're a citizen of a different kingdom, of a different city. So maybe you find yourself in your daily work working for a different bottom line than most other co-workers. A different bottom line than simple profit or self-advancement alone. Or maybe you find your political views not aligning perfectly with any one political party or ideology because you know your biggest mission is to follow Jesus, which takes us all over the social map on a number of different issues. Or where we're able to be a little bit more honest about our weakness and our need, even when no one else around you is being that honest about your need for the grace of God. Where you're able to tell yourself again and again that I'm a citizen of a different kingdom, a kingdom of self-sacrificial love as you battle against your own self-centeredness and your sin. Where when you're wrestling and fighting with the selfishness of your heart, you can say, that's not who I really am. Because my true citizenship is grounded in a kingdom of sacrifice. Because that's the story of the king who reigns there. Jesus, who laid everything down 
to serve and to love, who didn't prop himself up even though he deserved to and could have, and yet took the low place, walking and living this life, yes, as a homeless stranger. And on the cross, though he had every place of intimacy with God, being in the family, the divine family of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, on the cross, taking the judgment that we deserved, God himself treating Jesus, his son, as a total stranger. Casting him out of that city, as it were, in exile, so that you and I might be brought in and brought home to God. Jesus trading places with us so that we might know his God. Occasionally living as a stranger and alien, fed by the story of Jesus, does mean feeling a little bit out of place. And can I just add briefly that, by the way, those of you who are from immigrant backgrounds, maybe you yourself or your family have moved here in recent years, or maybe you're a so-called third culture kid, family in the military, or maybe in some kind of company that had you bouncing around different places around the world, and you have a hard time deciding what home is for you. Do you understand how on this point you are a blessing to our community if you would share your story and struggle? You have an advantage over those of us that do have a primary sense of home and belonging. If your whole life is one existence of saying, I don't really know where my home is, all I know is it doesn't really feel like home here... You've got to step forward in the the direction of living like a spiritual stranger and alien here on this earth. Share your story with us. Teach us. Let us all benefit together in community through your, yeah, hard story of estrangement and struggle and alienation. We need to benefit from you. Friends, all of us, do you live in this present version, this present broken version of the world as a stranger, as a refugee, or do you feel far too at home with life as it is? Abraham shows us that living with a sense that this life is not my ultimate home, not here. And not these things that I have and not these things that I experience. As great as they are and as true as they are as blessings from God's hands. And yet because I know that my citizenship lies elsewhere. And that my death really in fact is a home going. Returning to that city being prepared for me. And being with the family of God as he restores it to me. That this gives us freedom to live in an open-handed sort of way, day after day after day. What does that look like in your life? See, don't you see how this gives us courage to face death? How this gives us courage and resources to live life? When was the last time you thought about death? 
How might faith in Jesus Christ, as we talked about it, reshape the way that we approach it for ourselves and other people? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these words, and we pray your blessing upon our continued reflection, meditation upon it. We need you, God. Be gentle with us, God. I know some people here, uh, it's a deeply personal and maybe even painful thing to even, even to hear the word death. Holy Spirit, be kind and gentle with them. But on others of us, please uh, knock on that door loudly, especially if we're avoiding issues or avoiding you. Uh, we pray that in your kindness, you'd open our hearts to these promises, this reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.